Welcome to Heels in the Courtroom, a podcast about successfully navigating law and life, featuring the women trial attorneys at the Simon Law Firm. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Heels in the Courtroom. I am Mary Simon, and I'm joined today by Amy Gunn and Liz Lenape. In the last couple months, I have experienced in my clients' depositions lawyers on the other side who will say things or preface questions with kind of a narrative that isn't part of the question, isn't relevant to the case. And I can come to one conclusion, and that's that they're trying to get a rise out of my client and they're trying to scare my client. And oftentimes it happens in, you know, we have really significant cases with a lot of damages going on and attorneys are trying to tamp down what the damages are, to what extent our clients are hurt, and make them scared to bring their case to a trial. It just got me thinking about this concept of intimidation tactics. And I want to give some examples today of what I understand some intimidation tactics to be and kind of brainstorm ideas and discuss how to deal with them when we have to or when we should, if it's during the deposition, if it's after, if it's on a break. And I keep coming back to depositions because when I'm talking about intimidation tactics, I mean any circumstance where the opposing attorney has in real time opportunity to make a comment either directly to your client or in earshot of your client so they can hear it and it kind of throws them off a little bit in whatever the context is. Let me talk about a deposition that I had a few weeks back My client had been sitting in her deposition. We're on hour four. It's getting to be a long day, long afternoon. I can tell she's getting a little bit anxious talking about damages and, you know, how they've affected her personal life and what that means for her. And all of a sudden, the attorney, he kept jumping between medical records and then kind of pausing and looking up at her. And then he'd look at me, not her, and say something like, Mary, I mean, I'm going to have to ask these questions. I don't, I mean, if she's going to have to talk about this in front of a jury, then I'm going to have to ask these questions. And then he'd ask the question. What this attorney was saying had no bearing on the deposition other than to get a reaction out of my client. Subtle reminders that she was going to have to tell her life story in front of a group of strangers at a trial. Another thing he did during this particular deposition is he videotaped my client's depo. And I've only had opposing counsel do that on a couple different occasions, and it's got to be partly to intimidate them. I mean, I'm I'm sure that they also want to get a good visual of who your client is to report back to their client, but that also can add a bit of intimidation for your client. And the last one, and this is something that this attorney kept saying repeatedly, and I addressed it with my client on a break, but he kept prefacing questions anytime she would identify a part of her damages and how it's impacted her life, he would come back with, surely you're not saying blah, 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 kind of repeat back what her answer was. And she almost, at first she was kind of thrown by it. And, you know, is she saying that? And she took a second and thought about it and was like, well, can you re-ask the question? And I'm thinking, oh, I don't want to undo everything she just said. But it's that moment, it's that game day decision that both of you have dealt with before, where it's, do I interject right now, potentially make my client even more thrown out of the tempo that she's in, 
make her think she's doing something wrong when she isn't? Or do you address it with counsel? And those are the moments that I'm talking about is what is the best way to handle those? It starts with preparing your client for the absolute worst. And that includes having to say things to your client like they've probably scoured your social network, probably read every record in your medical file and picked out every awful thing that's ever been written, that's ever happened to you. They're going to try to intimidate you. They're going to try to make you feel badly about, number one, filing a lawsuit, number two, being hurt, number three, blaming someone. They're going to do all kinds of things. And the only goal in doing that is to try to have you back away from this lawsuit. We're not going to let that happen, are we? So I invoke this idea that you've been through a lot. It has taken you a lot of strength of character, a lot of physical strength, emotional strength to get to where you are right here in my office today. Think about everything you've been through, everything you survived, everything that has gone by, and yet you still get up every morning and you do what you have to do for yourself and your family. This person sitting at the other end of the table or across the table from you knows nothing really about your life other than what he or she has read in your medical records or found on your social media. They know nothing. And the only way they're going to intimidate you today is if you let them. So I start with almost a speech to pump them up. And then I say, I'm so sorry that you have to go through this. I'm sorry I'm the one making you go through this, but I can guarantee you this. I'm going to sit beside you that entire deposition. I'm going to object when I think it's necessary. And I talk about strategically when I object and when I don't object. And I want them to understand everything that's going to happen in that room. So I know you can't prepare your clients for everything. And I do think it has taken me years to believe that people can be such assholes during depositions under the guise of I'm just doing my job. But Mary, as you point out, Many of those questions have no relevancy, will have no relevancy. And I know we've got a broad definition and rule with respect to what kind of questions can be asked and that they can only have to lead to potentially be relevant. But, you know, people abuse that all the time. So I just say, look, your goal today is to get through this. I know you can. We're going to do it together. We're going to tell that lawyer the truth of this case and everything that's happened to you. We're going to take whatever breaks we need to take, and I'm going to protect you when I think you need it. But under no circumstances are you going to let him or her get to you. Are you going to let him or her allow you to back away from this case? I'm not going to let you back away from this case. We're in this together. And I kind of, I really do invoke a number of things, their own strength to get through it, their loyalty to me, my loyalty to them. And being in this together to get through this. And I'll tell you that it works. I am constantly amazed at how strong our clients are. But when you think about it, I mean, I've been through nothing as bad as most of what our clients have been through. I've been through nothing that would 
do anything other than just really require me to just drop out of life, right? I mean, you think about the things that they've been through and survived. This is nothing compared to what you've actually accomplished and what you've been through. So I start with that. And when it starts, and sometimes it's worse than I even expect, I'll take a break. And I'll say, here it is. You know, they're already starting. It's really worst case scenario. Again, I'm sorry, but this is not going to defeat us. It's just not. And I have had such admiration for clients who have had to go through terrible depositions like that and have survived. And at the end of the day, I know they're exhausted and I tell them how proud I am of them. And even throughout the course of the deposition, I will say, I'm very proud of you for this first hour. It's been difficult. And what I also believe is that if they don't appear intimidated or shaken in any way by the first set of shitty questions, then the questions get better. They usually get better because it's just a tactic. In the deposition that I had been referring to from a couple of weeks ago, I was able to have a mini consultation with Liz in the office over a lunch break. And everything that you've said, Amy, is so true. And it played out so well the rest of the afternoon, Liz. I asked, you know, what am I supposed to do with these? You know, they're just hammering her. This guy is hammering her. She's getting very frustrated. She's crying. I mean, it was an emotional roller coaster. And I talked to Liz. Liz was saying, you know what? You should explain to her that all he's trying to do is to get her to stop and we have to stop it and continue it another day because he kept asking that and and she's crying and maybe we should stop, but it's on video and I'm saying, oh no, <laughs> you're the one making her cry. We don't need to continue. So I talked to Liz about it. Liz said, pump her up, give her all the confidence that she needs right now because she needs confidence when someone's just hammering her and let her know that his goal at the end of the day is to get her to be rattled and angry in her responses or really upset with her responses. And the best thing she can do if she really wants to just get on even ground with this guy and let him know he's not going to be messing with her or put words in her mouth is to sit there and answer the questions. Just answer them, not really react. Don't get angry with the things he's saying. Everyone in the room knows that the questions are ridiculous. Just answer the questions. And we went back into the deposition after I had taken Liz's advice, talked to my client, we went back in and it was like a total shift when she started answering the questions and he would jump between different random things in her medical records from, I don't know, the year 2000 and mention things. And she would just go, I'm not really sure. I'm not saying that didn't happen. I just don't really remember it. And then he would, he looked up from his paper and looked at me and went, do you think maybe it'd be best if we just continued this on another day? And I'm thinking, no, we're good. So I just, it was excellent advice and it worked really well under these particular circumstances, but it's so true. We finished the deposition and I just wanted to hug her and just say, I'm so proud of you. You have no idea how, like, gosh, like six hours you got through that and you owned it and you did so well. And honestly, I think in those situations, clients just need to feel validated. They need to know that what is happening to them is not okay. You recognize that, but it's sort of part of the game and they're going to get through it. If they're doing that, what that should tell you and should empower you to know is that it means they don't have a very strong case. Because if they can't attack you on the facts, they're going to attack you on everything else. And uh, clients, when I explain that to them, now they're starting to pick up on, okay, it's just part of the game. It's part of the game. I'm not going to take it personal. I know what they're doing. 
And the fact that they're doing it indicates to me that I'm right. There is a reason that I am here. So I highly encourage our listeners to go back and review our episode on preparing clients, because that is really the first step in getting ahead of this whole intimidation issue. But what I do is I tell clients, we're going to role play right now. I'm going to be defense attorney and I'm going to be the meanest person. I'm going to be snarky. I'm going to be sarcastic. I'm going to have that tone and I'm going to ask you these questions. I anticipate that they're going to ask you in the worst possible way so that you know how to respond. And without fail, without fail, the client says, "Okay, I'm ready. And I ask the first question in some terrible voice of, well, I mean, couldn't you say that, you know, you had a back injury before all of this? Are you exaggerating? Even if I know the defense attorney and the defense attorney I know is not like that, I still prepare my client for the worst. And I ask that first question and they're almost always caught off guard by how rude I am. And I say, look, if you can deal with me right now, then you can deal with anything that they're going to throw at you tomorrow and you're going to be ready for it. And no matter how the question comes out, you are ready for it and you know your answer and you also know that you are not to take the bait. So client preparation cannot be stressed enough. Additionally, the other issue is you have to pay attention in your client's deposition. I have seen this happen before where, not from our office, but I'm taking someone else's deposition, the defendant's deposition, and their counsel is on the phone checking emails. They've got their laptop out. They've just been hammering away at, at a memo or something. I have no idea. Sending out emails or writing Yelp reviews. I don't know what they're doing because they're sitting there, but they're clearly not engaged. And I try to be respectful in deposition. So I typically don't have too many contentious moments, but I've been on the other end of depositions where I can clearly see that whatever the line of questioning is, is getting under my client's skin. And so I know when to take a break. Or if it's something where it's starting to get really heated, I'll shift my body language. If it's something where my client's clearly uncomfortable, I will sort of scoot closer to them. I'll sit up straighter, sort of lean in just to let them know, ultimately, look, it's you and the defense attorney going back and forth, but I am here to protect you. And I know you can do it because we prepared all day yesterday for it. I know you can do it. But if you need me to step in, I'm here and I'm paying attention. So those are the two things that I think are the most important to, to getting in front of intimidation is preparing your client and paying attention to your client. I love the idea about the physical changes that you make because we talk about strategic objections and when it's appropriate to object. Because what I say is, you may not hear me object. You may feel like, why aren't you objecting? Why are you letting this happen to me? Sometimes what happens if I object, that lawyer's not going to take it out on me. They're going to take it out on you. They're going to ask you more questions, harder questions. I am not going to shame this person from asking these terrible questions. Although I try, don't get me wrong. I try and sometimes it does, but you may think I'm not paying attention, but I am. And I will do the same thing, Liz. I'll kind of sit up straight and I'll do the evil eye. Don't underestimate the <laughs> evil eye. So I'll do the evil eye and I'll just kind of look and shake my head or marry what you said, kind of the eye roll. Sometimes I'll sigh really loudly. It may not make any difference at all, but it makes me feel better. And it tells the client, my client, that I'm paying attention and I'm making efforts to move this along, to try to change the behavior short of actually objecting and making it worse. Now, that said, I will object that the questions are harassing. I've even objected that they're rude. 
that's not really a legal objection, but I occasionally will throw that out. It just feels right. Because I do think that's worth doing from time to time. I had a temporary restraining order case a number of years ago. I don't do a lot of those. And this was a weird case where when one of my sons was playing soccer on one of those select teams, which are outrageously competitive. I mean, my kid was like in third grade. And the parents are crazy competitive. The coaches, it's ridiculous. And the coach on the other team followed our coach after the game into the parking lot and was incredibly physically aggressive to him. And honestly, I can't remember if there was actual pushing involved, but like, I think he drove his car up to our coach and like tried to intimidate him with his car. It was ridiculous. Okay. So the coach calls me and said, what can be done? And of course I was like, well, I can't not do anything. I really don't know what to do. So I had learned how to do a TRO and all these things. And I filed it and we had a hearing and I mean, I had witnesses. One of the referees was a witness. And so with a TRO, you're in court and you're all standing up near the bench. At least this is the way it happened in the County where I was. And I had my client there I had the witness there and I was standing there. And then the defense attorney, the lawyer for this person that we were trying to get the restraining order against, he had hired a lawyer. He shows up and I'm asking the witness, the referee, who is a woman, to tell her story. She tells her story. And then this lawyer calls her by her first name. Let's call her Barbara. I can't remember what it was, but, you know, Barbara this and Barbara that and stupid questions trying to intimidate her. And she was kind of like, what is going on? And he's getting closer to her because we're all just standing there. He's getting physically closer to her. And my reaction is to get physically closer and step in between them. It's just this reaction that I'm having. And it's the weirdest thing because I think I've been through a lot as a trial lawyer, right? You think you've been through it a lot, but there's nothing compared to what goes on in the family courts and the criminal courts. And so the judge finally was like, Mr. Whoever, we use last names in this court. We call each other by our last names. And the next time that you use this witness's first name, it's going to be a problem. Now, I got the TRO, okay? But I guess I should never be surprised, Mary, when I hear stories like this, because I was listening to your story like, God, that's just awful. And then I'm thinking about over through the years, like, yeah, that's a tactic. And the best we can do is prepare our clients, step up when we need to, either verbally or physically sometimes, step up and just show as much as we can that it ain't going to work. It ain't going to work, buddy. Try all day long. Look at this client. She is solid. And then oftentimes it will just kind of fade away. Amy, your story reminds me of a protective order case that I had a couple years ago. It was a pro bono case. It was on Valentine's Day. Yikes. Because I remember thinking, how weird is it that I'm in a domestic dispute (laughs) on Valentine's Day (laughs) trying to get a protection, an order of protection for this woman? And it was a similar situation where the defendant had hired an attorney. And the point I'm trying to make here is I don't think intimidation works. I think it's a bad look, especially if you're doing it in the courtroom, because ultimately what happened is we went in there with sort of meh evidence. I'll admit it wasn't great evidence. And I had explained to my client earlier, if there's a chance that the judge is going to deny this order of protection because we're relying on a lot of speculation for this. Um, And she understood 
But we went up there and she was giving her testimony and I asked her my questions. And then this defense attorney, young guy, it was so aggressive that I remember immediately Googling him because I wasn't convinced that he hadn't been disbarred. That's how ridiculous he was. Went up there and was just so aggressive. And again, this is an order of protection in a domestic case. This is a victim of abuse and stalking. And I really think that the judge witnessed it and in that moment was thinking, this is the evidence I'm given, but... I don't know if he sort of applied the defense lawyer's behavior onto the defendant and saw how aggressive he was with this woman. That's and is okay. thinking that's how the defendant was with this woman. And so, you know, we sort of took a break and the client was obviously upset. And I explained to her, this is really best case scenario, because if he was going through this calmly and logically and trying to take apart our case just based on the facts, I would be much more worried about that. But right now, he is on just such thin ice with the judge. Keep going. Just right. keep rolling with it. And she's OK. And sure enough, we got the order of protection. And I don't know if this is something young lawyers do or just lawyers who aren't very good at their job. And so, you know, trying to be a bulldog is the only thing they know how to do. It's so ineffective. And Mary, you know, going back to your story, this lawyer was trying so hard to intimidate you. And then once he lost that one trick, he had nothing else. Nothing else. Entire house of cards has fallen. I get caught up in what is proper. What is a proper objection? What does the rule say about what I'm allowed to do or not do when this sort of situation arises? And the more I practice, the more I understand that sometimes you just gotta do the right thing. There are so many circumstances that are not in a rule book that the more we're talking about this, the more I'm understanding that you need to just do the right thing. And I can think of a different client's deposition where I interjected And it was earlier, maybe like two years ago, I just remember stopping and saying, are you okay? Do you need to adjust? Because my client was physically not doing so well. And I I just kind of stopped and said, do you need to adjust? Do you need to stand? Do you need my help? I could just see that he was really uncomfortable physically like sitting in his chair. I didn't have to think about that because I just knew it was the next right thing to do. And the more I'm listening to your stories, I think sometimes you just need to not get so bogged down in the written rules of what to do or not do when you see your client suffering to whatever degree it is. You just need to stop it. So really what I'm taking away from this, it's putting in perspective to me that I hadn't thought about before is really just do the next right thing for your client when you see that happening. And sometimes it's just intuitive. And when it is, just lean into it. Don't stop to try to think, is it okay if I open my mouth here when you're seeing your client going through this? And the other thing is kind of a new take on it for me is telling the clients, of course, it's their opportunity to share their truth and answering questions, but they're never going to convince the other lawyer that what they're saying is actually the version of events that happened and that they're actually hurt to the extent they are. And I think I would be doing my clients a service by telling them that ahead of time because I haven't quite framed it in that way. But as I'm sitting here, I'm just thinking to myself, you know, a lot of times the frustration comes with kind of a, Liz, you said validation. It comes from a place of why don't you just believe what I'm saying? Like, it's so absurd that I even have to explain this because it's so obvious I lived through it. I know it happened. 
And I'm being questioned in 10 different ways about it. And so having the expectation of, of course, all the prep things that we talked about, but in addition, don't go in there thinking that this person who's asking you questions at the very end of the deposition is going to come out thinking completely differently about what's going on. If they do, that's great. That's a great thing. And maybe some people can be swayed by, you know, the truth of what a human is saying, especially someone who's been through something so terrible. Most of the times in my experience, that won't be the case, sadly, but just let letting them know ahead of time, that's not the goal here. That's not the hill to die on is to convince the defense attorney that what you're saying has merit. No. That's not what we're here to do. Right. He's not the jury. Right. You're not right. going to convince him. Just tell your story and move on. I take it a step further and say that, look, they're not here to believe you or to really even care about you. They are here for two goals, two goals. And keep this in mind. One is on a fact-finding mission which is why you're going to tell the truth and you're going to get as much detail out there as possible. And we're going to run through as much of this timeline and what you've experienced as possible. So that's one. But two, they're also here to get a read on you. And I know this because this is what I did when I was a defense attorney was I had to go back and write a letter to my client, the insurance company or whoever, and let them know what the plaintiff is like. So they're here to ask you questions and judge you. And that's it. You're not going to convince them of anything. That's not your mission today either. And again, it's teaching your client the, the tricks of the game. It occurs to me what you said earlier, which was this was a videotaped deposition, right? And the defense attorney said it as a video. It's just occurred to me, of course, that this could be played at trial. I mean, your client will be there and be able to testify on her own behalf, but there are situations where you could play some of that at trial or play some of it for one of the defense experts or one of your experts or somehow let the jury know how disrespectful the lawyer was to your client because that lawyer most likely won't act that way at trial because certainly he would understand how he'll be judged by the jury, but there's not a whole lot you can do about it. And so showing the jury in some way that defense attorney was awful to your client is a possibility. But what it really tells me is that I've learned a lot about this person that I'm going to tuck away and completely exploit when the moment hits. There are many, many opposing counsel we have that are fine. They are pleasant people. They are going to be kind to the client. I know that they are. And in fact, I think they're probably more effective because of it. Yes. And if I know who the defense attorney is going to be, I'll tell my client, hey, I've had multiple depositions with this person and I don't anticipate any problems tomorrow. But we're going to prepare just in case. Or if they send someone new or maybe they're having a bad day. I don't know. I will say, in fact, the majority of opposing counsel, I, I get along with just fine and, and I don't anticipate any problems. I do, though, want to tell one big bad defense lawyer story. This was several years ago when several of us actually in the office were traveling all over the country to take depositions in this transvaginal mesh litigation. And it's important, that specific topic. And so I was actually in another state. This was not in Missouri. I was in another state and my client was giving her deposition and we got maybe two, three hours in, I don't know. When the defense attorney pulls out a photo, a very large printed photo of my client holding her grandbaby, I don't know, two, three years old, a heavy, heavy looking child. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, you know, he's, he's healthy. He was a healthy looking baby. <laughs> this was relevant because one of my client's damages was the fact that because of this defective product, she was unable to lift heavy items. I think anything over 15 pounds or 20 pounds, something like that. The baby was clearly over 20 pounds. 
And are you seriously <laughs> fat shaming a baby? I'm saying it was a healthy baby. <laughs> it, was, it was just a little, little chunky baby. Adorable, adorable. But my client is holding the baby in the photo and defense counsel is going on about, well, it looks like you were holding the baby here. And we know because of the timestamp that this was after the surgery. So you were able to hold the surgery. So are you actually still making that claim that you're not able to lift things? And of course, my client is one, she is offended by the questions because they're accusing her of being a liar. But two, she is highly concerned about her privacy because where did they get this photo? She didn't recognize the photo. I didn't recognize the photo either. And all I could say was just, look, just stick with what you're saying. You have committed to your testimony. You know it's the truth. You know it's your truth. Stick with it. And she goes, okay. And we get through the remainder of the deposition and we leave and she tells me, I'm going to find where they found that photo. And I said, OK, more power to you. Do it. A couple days later, she contacts me. Sure enough, she found the photo and the defense attorney had cropped the photo because in the full picture, which wasn't even from her Facebook, I think it was from her daughter's Facebook. In the full photo, she is sitting down holding her grandchild. Mm. So she is not lifting. She's not holding it. She is sitting down. So had we had the full photo, it would have actually shown what the truth was. But this attorney, in my opinion, malevolently- I, I wish I was surprised. <laughs> I wish I could tell you yeah. that surprises me. She had cropped it to tell a story that was not the truth, to lie. And my client is understandably furious. And my lawyer brain immediately went, this is gold. This is great. <laughs> because if they pull this out in the trial, one of two things is going to happen. They're never going to use this photo because now we have the true photo and it's we're going to tell the jury what giant liars they are. And they are going to shoot all credibility they have with the jury. One or two, they're never going to see that photo again. It's not going to come back to trial. So those are the two options. But that is sort of all of this conversation about, you know, intimidation. And that's what it was. They were trying to intimidate my client. One, we have all this information on you. And two, we're going to prove that you're a liar. And both of those facts were wrong. But we should be thankful, really, that many, many of our opposing counsel have such a deep-seated notion that all plaintiffs are liars and all plaintiffs' attorneys are lynching scumbags because <laughs> it really does, I think, ultimately help us that that's where they're coming from because it leads to mistakes. It leads to mistakes on their part. I'm sitting here feeling compelled to say that because we're playing as attorneys, obviously our experience with these types of intimidation and manipulations are from defense attorneys. But I guess we would be remiss if we didn't say it happens on both sides of the V and that there are lawyers that embrace these tactics, uh, whether they're plaintiffs, attorneys or defense attorneys. So there's our effort to try to make it more fair. <laughs> Back to this video issue, and this will be my last point, the video issue, if you know that attorney X can be awful in a deposition and that attorney X chooses not to videotape, maybe you should cross notice the video. Maybe if they feel like the tone of their questions and whether they're coming over the table or, or I don't know, but if they feel like they're being watched or recorded with the audio versus just a transcript, maybe that'll maybe that'll teach them a little bit. So I think there's great education in knowing who the lawyers are that engage in this kind of conduct. So let's share that information, ladies. 
Well, I have really appreciated this discussion. And, you know, as we talked, I added a couple other bullet points to my client prep outline for next time. And thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Heels in the Courtroom. As a reminder, new episodes drop on Wednesdays. And if you want, you can reach out to us via email at comments at heelsinthecourtroom.law. See you next time. Bye. Amy, Liz, Mary, Erica, Elizabeth, and Megan would love to hear from you at comments at heelsinthecourtroom.law. And if you love Heels in the Courtroom, check out the other legal podcasts in the Simon Law Firm Library. John Simon's The Jury Is Out podcast focuses on lifelong learning to elevate your practice and dive into the legal drama behind America's first medical malpractice case against opioid overprescription in Results Don't Lie. Subscribe today. Subscribe today.